Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this time. And God, we just ask for you to bless your word as we study it together tonight. We thank you, Lord, for, again, the Harvest Crusade, for the wonderful work you're doing. Lord, we also want to pray for this fellowship, God, that you would do this, that work, that same work among us, Lord, that uh, you'd anoint us with your spirit and power to go forth proclaiming your gospel. And Lord, tonight as we get into your word, let us examine our hearts and let it confront us and move us towards faith and good deeds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are in the book of Revelation. And um, once again, I just want to remind you that Paul, or John, sorry, not Paul. Paul received this letter while on the island of Patmos. And I have a little slide here of the island of Patmos. Uh, again, it's a deserted island. And he was uh, sent there by the emperor Domitian. Uh, so we date the book of Revelation right around A.D. 96. And as he's writing this letter, uh, we are going to get into the section starting in chapter 2 to the church. But before we do that, let me just uh, say a few words about prophecy again. As we go through this book, prophecy gets tough for a lot of us because there's so many different viewpoints. And I was actually just talking with Vicki in the back prior to this, and she was reading a new book on, on prophecy, uh, on the book of Revelation. And there's different viewpoints, and with, with mean, which means different interpretations of prophecy. Now, we, I, I myself take a, a, a premillennial view, which means these things are yet future to come. Well, they will be after chapter, sorry, chapter 4, we're going to get into the future. But there are different views, and those views start in the Old Testament. They don't start in the book of Revelation. So if you're interested in learning more about that, here's a couple of things you can do. One, love to have a conversation with you. Hang out and talk with us after the service. Bring up these topics, and we'll see what we can do in the, just discussion. Two, I have a Sunday school class Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock. Um, you could come to that Sunday school class and then serve during a service in the mornings. Uh, we next actually the next few weeks I won't be teaching, but somebody is teaching for me, and um, the, it's a great class. Right now we are building a case starting from the Old Testament forward on why we take a premillennial view in Calvary Chapel. Okay, and so we've gone over the different viewpoints of, of eschatology or last things. That's eschatos is last, and uh, the, so it's the study of last things. Uh, so we, we've gone over the four different views, and now we're building the case on why we take a premillennial view. And so we'd love to welcome you to come to that if you want to be part of that. And then, of course, if you'd like, I can recommend some good books to you. So please feel free to ask me about these things and, or open up the discussion. I promise you uh, this is something we can agree to disagree on. Um, so th this is not like the major thing as far as how these future events are going to happen. But no matter whether you hold the same viewpoint, like mine being that it's a futurist, that these things are yet to happen, we can learn a lot from Christ, and there's a lot of application in this book. So, so I just want to encourage you with that. Now, as we get into the letters to the seven churches tonight, we're going to start with just the church of Ephesus. But let me explain. You're going to hear all these names about the churches, and I have a map here just to show you where these churches are in Asia. Uh, so this would be modern-day Turkey, what we're looking at. And this is the, the coast off the Mediterranean of modern-day Turkey. And you'll no notice Ephesus just above Patmos. 
in the lower left-hand corner there. And then we'll travel up to Smyrna. Then we're going to head up to Pergamum, then down to Thyatira, Sardis, over to Philadelphia, and down to Laodicea last. And those are, these are the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation that we'll be looking at these places. But it helps sometimes to have a geographical uh, picture of what we're talking about. Because a lot of times these places in the Bible, just we kind of wonder what's going on. But in order to give a, a fair teaching of the scripture, I want to also give you some background information. So tonight we're focusing on the church of Ephesus. And the main thing I want you to see is that it's right there on the coast. And uh, we can go on from there. So let's get into the, to the Bible, the scripture here, chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. Yet this you have in common. Uh, this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Church, interesting word. We, we get the word church from uh, ecclesia in the Greek. And that just means assembly or congregation. But that word church often is uh, something we have to define when we're talking about it. Many people think church is speaking about a building. It's the, I got to go down to the, the church, the church building. By the way, can we get the lights on to, to the point so people can read their Bibles? Thanks. Um, maybe it is on. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so the... Uh, so the church is, we talk about buildings. We talk about the church being the universal church, the church worldwide. But I would like to define for a minute church. First of all, there's the, the church in the sense of the people, the congregation, the assembly, uh, a little too, too much, but it's good. I'm not going to complain anymore. Here we go. <laughs> too little. <laughs> All right, now he's getting sassy. <laughs> That's all on sunburn time. So <laughs> this church is lit up. <laughs> so when we, when we talk about, if you're listening to this podcast, we had a malfunction with the light system, and it was definitely not the sound booth person's fault. So... <laughs> uh, so when we talk about church, we want to understand, uh, turn with me real fast over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll just look at these real fast. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, 
to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. I think this is a good description of what it means to be a part of the church. It's one who has been, is being sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who has been sanctified, that means to be made holy in Christ Jesus. One who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means you're in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. That makes you a part of his church. So we can have many people within a church fellowship like this, those who call upon the name of the Lord, who say, Lord, you're my Lord, I'll do what you say, I want to be sanctified by you, I've recognized your salvation through that cross. And then we can have those who are part of the church fellowship that don't call upon the name of the Lord. You're visiting. You're, you're, you're sitting in with us. You're fellowshipping with us. But you may not be part of, when I talk about church, as far as those who are in Christ Jesus. But no matter what, when we think about church, there are a lot of things that come up. History, for instance. And by, a, by all means, history has not been good to the church. Or I should say, the church has not been good to history. When we look back at history, the history of the church, there's a lot of awful stuff that happens. There's a lot of muddy stuff. There's a lot of uh, corruption, a lot of cheating, a lot of murder. And those of us who are in the church that I explained, those sanctified by Jesus Christ, we would deny that. We would reject those things that have happened in history and say, that is not of Jesus Christ. That is not those who are really in the church. But the fact is, is the rest of the world sees that as the church. So as we get into these letters, I want to make sure that we re recognize that these letters, these seven churches that Jesus has a message to, I believe are the most incisive, the most penetrating, the spotlight is being shown upon us, and it's a time to reflect, a time to ask ourselves, are we the church that Christ wants us to be? Are we, are we the church that we should be? Are we a good representation of Christ, or have we lost our way? Dr. Uh, Richard Halverston, he was a chaplain to the U.S. Senate in 1984, and he said this, in the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture, and finally, it moved to America, where it became an enterprise. Not a great statement about the church, is it? We don't want to be that. In fact, I'll tell you right now that the history of Calvary Chapel is one of not being an enterprise, not being institutionalized, being a, a movement of those who want to seek the Lord and study his word. That's, the, that's kind of the history of how Calvary Chapel was born out of the church. And, of course, you can find a lot of Chuck Smith's writing on the subject. And it's probably one of the things I love most about Calvary Chapel. It's not about the institution. It's not about maintaining the institution. In fact, Chuck is famous for saying, where God guides, God provides. Meaning that, you know, if God's really in this, he'll provide. He'll make it happen. If not, you know, it's not his church. It's not his people. So... We want to make sure that we're not an enterprise. Much of the time when we look at the church, we've heard statements like, oh, Jesus, save me from your followers. That's kind of sad, right? We don't want to be that church. We've seen the church marred by thieves, greedy people, 
those who take advantage of others. Of course, there's been affairs. Um, <laughs> recently, the church has been in the newspaper in this last uh, t- decade for um, abuse, such as molestation, things like that. Terrible, grievous sins that are not of Christ and not by Christ, nor would Christ ever condone these things. But the church has been associated with it. Last week I talked about church, Jesus Christ, the one who holds the seven stars and walks among the seven lampstands. And I talked about how those lampstands, the, the idea of the church being lights, lights within the community, yet sometimes the corruption, the sin, creeps into the sanctified. And it sure isn't a light. In fact, we're going to see as we go through these seven churches in the book of Revelation that there's a warning about the removal of a lampstand, the removal of the light. So I really want to encourage you, take these letters seriously. We're going to study them within the context of the time in which they happen, but we're also going to see how timeless these letters are to the church, that they apply to us in every Every century, every generation, these letters apply because we're going to see these things. I mean, I'm sure you'll be able to look and say, oh, I recognize a church that, that, that's not dealing with this frustration or this sin or this suffering. We're going to see that. But let me ask you, please, as we read the Word of God, don't say, oh, look at they, they, they struggle with that sin. Say, Lord, am I struggling with that sin? Lord, does the light need to be on me? Because that's what I want to challenge you to, because these letters are loving letters all about reminding the church to be ready for his second coming. Reminding us to be ready, to, to remain lights in those areas. So to the angel in Ephesus, right. Remember, remember last week we said that word angel, angelos, also just means messenger. And I, I take the position that this is speaking to the elder or pastor of the church, the one who is leading the church. And I want to remind you here about Ephesus. Ephesus is one of the, the, the only church that we read about in the book of Acts. In fact, it is the church where Paul himself pastored for three years. We saw a wonderful revival happen. In fact, the revival that happened in the book of Acts ended up causing a riot because the The idol makers were losing money because of this new cult or sect called the Way, which was the church. And they were losing out on money, and we know that this riot broke out. Later on, Paul goes, and he he starts ministering there. Well, he ministered there for three years. Then he stops back by there and commissions the elders uh, before he heads to to, to Jerusalem and is arrested. And then, of course, in prison, he writes a letter to the church called Ephesians. He writes this letter, this wonderful letter, and, and it's, it's, it's an amazing letter full of grace, full of uh, exhortation and encouragement. But now, 60 years later, we have a different church, a second generation. Listen to what Paul says right before he leaves Ephesus. Chapter, Acts chapter 20, verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace 
which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That was his, his commission. Hey, be aware. People are going to try to sneak in. They're, they're even going to be among you. And they're going to cause, they're going to try to scatter you. They're going to try to lead you astray. They're going to try to twist the truth. Be aware of this. Be on your guard. After Paul leaves the church in Ephesus, we know that Timothy took over for a while. And then, of course, the apostle John himself took over. This church has a wonderful history of spiritual giants leading it. I mean, honestly, when you think about theologians, we don't think much more about the Apostle Paul. He's the theologian of theologians. He, he is the one that we always go back to when we think about systematic theology and theology, how Paul argues so gracefully uh, his, his arguments. The book of Romans, Revelation, well, two-thirds of the New Testament. And then John John, that, wonder, that wonderful apostle that we have nicknamed the apostle of love because he is so loving and his, his letters are just so full of the love of Christ and the love for each other, always admonishing the body to continue on in love. These are good pastors. These are great leaders for the church. Yet somehow Ephesus has slipped. And we're going to see this list. But he starts out with this commendation. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. Two things they're commended for, for their patient endurance and their theological strength, that they know the truth. That they don't, they don't give in to false witnesses. They're able to tell those who are deceivers. Look at that. Have tested those who call themselves apostles. You know, today we have teaching everywhere. And you can, you can easily Google somebody and find out what they believe about something. You can look, listen to audio messages and whatnot. But think about, put yourself back in the first century. Someone comes to town and says, hey, I'm an apostle I've been prayed over, commissioned by the apostles, and they start teaching you things. And, and the Ephesians were so wise. They're, they're listening to these guys going, mm, that's not what the Scripture says. Here's what the Scripture says. They, 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 they were really wise in this. They would test people and recognize, no, you're a false, you're a false apostle. You're no, no, no true teacher. So theologically, they were strong. They knew right from wrong. In fact, I'm sure that because of their theological strength, they probably made doctrine an essential thing in their church. It became about the doctrine. Notice that they're enduring patiently for, for the name of Christ. They're, they're even suffering some. They're not going to be like Smyrna, but they are suffering for the sake of Christ. They're doing some really good things. But Jesus says, I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. This is the correction. You've abandoned your first love. You, you, you've forgotten to love me. See, the church, I, I, I believe, can summed up, be summed up in, the, in, this, in these three purposes. Ministry to God, which would be through worship. Ministry to the believers, which would be through nurture. We'd be growing the believers and helping them grow in the, their knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then ministry to the world through evangelism 
and mercy. What do I mean by evangelism and mercy? Well, preaching the good news, proclaiming the good news so that they too, the world, can be reconciled to God. And then, of course, mercy, things like charity, loving people, looking out for the poor, looking out for the widows, building hospitals, all the things that we've seen done, being involved in community. These three things, ministry to God, ministry to believers, and ministry to the world. These are the three things I think are the purpose of the church. But I'd like to take this, these seven letters to the church in Revelation and maybe get a purpose for our church. And what I mean by that is, here's the first purpose. Love Jesus Christ first. Love Jesus Christ first. Make your love for Jesus Christ a prior, priority. And I'll tell you right now, if you love Jesus Christ, you're going to love the things he loves. If you love Jesus Christ, you're going to love his church. If you love Jesus Christ, you're going to love your neighbor. If you love Jesus Christ, you're going to obey his commands. If you love Jesus Christ first, you will be in him. You'll be his disciple. And that's what he, he, he corrects the Ephesian church for is they've lost their first love. They've strayed away. I've been married now 19 years, and some of you guys might look at me and go, oh, you're just getting started because you've been married a lot longer. <laughs> but also I look at others who are just getting started and go, ah, oh, you're just married. Oh, good job. Keep going. But I, I have the opportunity a lot of times to do premarital counseling and, and uh, sit with young couples and even older couples and middle-aged couples and all sorts of couples that are getting married and uh, do premarital counseling. And, and uh, one of the things that uh, often comes up in premarital counseling is uh, I, I'm happy now that I have 19 years of marriage and experience to go through. But when I first started doing premarital counseling, you know, I didn't have very many years of marriage. And, uh, but I had the Word of God, and that's what I would trust in. All right, here's what the Word of God says about this. Here's what wiser people than me say about marriage and so on. And we go through it. What actual experience has lended me is examples, illustrations, and application. What I mean is, as I've lived in marriage and I've seen this truth played out, I now know where to apply that truth. And that's called wisdom. I've gained some wisdom over the years, and I'm sure I'm yet to gain a lot more. But one thing I've noticed is if I'm going to remain married, if I'm going to keep this love for my wife and kindle that fire within her and her within me, it starts with me. It's not about her doing things for me. It's about me doing for her. Now, for her, she'll probably say it starts with her. But what I've learned is I've got to kindle that fire. I've got to continually remind myself to love my wife I was joking because I had an instructor who had an actual um, a, uh, app come up. And uh, when he would, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> all of a sudden my phone blew up with stuff. When he would, uh, at, at 3 o'clock every day, he would get a reminder on his phone that said, tell your wife you love her. And we, we would laugh about that because, like, who needs a reminder to tell their wife you, you love them? But, and it's not that he needed a reminder, but he was reminding himself, make sure I love my wife. Make sure I, I love my wife, that I let her know that I love her. Do actions that show that love for her. <coughs> Sorry. Do actions that show my love for her. Serve her. Put her first in my life. Now, my wife's got a, a terrible mistress to contend with called ministry. 
the church. <laughs> I say that jokingly, but it is true. There's always this management. And some of you men uh, or, or women also have a mistress, a job or something like that that you've, you've got to always manage and, and it can get way out of control if you're not careful. But with ministry, I tell, I tell young ministers or ministers that are thinking about getting married, one, make sure your wife is called, but two, make sure you understand her needs. I meet with my wife and say, hey, honey, here's my schedule for the month. What do you think about this? Oh, this week's coming up. I have these possible appointments. Um, and then I make sure to give my wife the time that she needs. You know what the amazing thing is? The more I serve my wife, the more I love my wife. My, my love for my wife produced services in me to my wife that creates more love in me for my wife. That's an incredible idea. She's my, the first woman I ever said I love you to. I, in high school I had girlfriends, like many of us do, and I remember one girl told me, I, I love you. And I'm like, that's nice. <laughs> what? <laughs> And so I had to explain, well, I'm not going to say I love you because I'm not really sure I do love you. And, um, and uh, so I remember I, one night on a date with my wife, I, I was sitting in a car with her and um, nothing was happening. We were just sitting in a car. <laughs> it was totally innocent. And I said, hey, Laura, I, I, I don't know how to say this. Um, I am in love with you. And she's all, that's nice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Expecting something so much more. She said, that's nice. And I'm like, all right, well, here's the deal. Don't expect you to say it back. I just want you to know that I'm in love with you. And the amazing part is, is I am more in love with her today than I was back then. Because I continue to serve her because I love her. And that service creates more love in me. Now, the Ephesian church, they had lots of works. They were doing lots of works. But sadly, it appears that their works became about serving the church or the work and not the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's what Jesus confronts them on. This is his one correction. You've lost your first love. Remember Matthew 22 when Jesus is asked by the Pharisees, uh, by a teacher of the law, which is the greatest commandment? And this is what Jesus said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You shall love your God with all of your being, with all of your heart. The center, the locus of your being, that soul, with all your mind, with, with the things you think about, the thoughts that should be upon God. With all your strength, the actions. What you do should all be a result of love to God and not love to idols. And by the way, I think that you and I are always tempted with idolatry. I think we are always struggling with not loving something more than God. I think it's always a challenge for us. But Jesus said that this is the greatest commandment. Then after that, it's love your neighbor as yourself. But the first and greatest is love the Lord your God with all of your being. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10.
um, pages are sticking together. If you made it first, I'm proud of you. <laughs> I'm actually like literally turning page by page to get to Luke chapter 10. And I made it. <laughs> Luke chapter 10. Jesus is celebrating. He's, uh, he's at the home of Mary and Martha, or the home of Lazarus. And we see this story unfold in verse, uh, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. It's not wrong to serve. It's not wrong to do. We want to do. We want, we want to let our faith produce works in us. The problem is, is when the service becomes the faith. When the work becomes the essential thing. When we start saying, I don't have time to read my Bible because I've got to wash kids' clothes. I don't have time to read my Bible because I've got to prepare a Bible study. I don't have time to pray, Lord, because I've got to get to work. I don't have time to be with you, Lord, or to sit at your feet because I've got to go do an event at church. I don't have time to be with you, Lord, because I've got to go to the Harvest Crusade. It's, sometimes it's hard for us to separate that, but I know that in my own marriage, and I'm using the illustration of my own marriage for this because it's the, the thing that I can closest relate to, to love and devotion and fidelity to someone. But in my own marriage, I, I know my wife will say things like sometimes to me like, I just feel like we're not connecting, like you haven't been around. And I pull out my calendar, and I'm like, no, I was here on this date, and I was here here, and I was here there. And guess how far that gets me? Nowhere. What she's saying to me is, you're not pouring into me. You're here. You're present. But, but you're not pouring into me. You're not hanging with me. You're not making me a priority in this. We can do a lot for the Lord. We can be about serving. But we can completely forget to, to love him. Imagine the Martha model in church. Imagine the church ruled by the Martha model. <laughs> I, I heard a pastor speak about this. And you can just see this happening in the church. We have a church that everybody's about doing, but nobody's about worshiping. We have a church that's very light on worship. Then when the worship time comes in, well, you know, we've we, we got to go hand out programs and full programs. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. The worship team is, okay, here's the performance. We're starting at this time. All right, let's do this. And the worship team's all about the performance because we're serving the church, right? The, the, it becomes about the doing. Okay, um, this time we do this. This time we do that. That time we do that. Okay, great. We finished it. Everything's done and over. And, and it was all about the service. But somewhere along the line, the church, the body of Christ, those saved by Christ, those sanctified those who have been changed and transformed by Christ forgot to love Jesus Christ. Shame on us. You know what happens in marriages where, that, where that's going on? Where 
it's all about, well, we got to fix up the house. i got to do my chores. got to do my chores. Da, 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 da. It ends in divorce. You end in ruptured marriages. Marriages that are separated. Husbands and wives that are unhappy with each other. But wait, we've been doing. We've been doing all the things. I've, I've been going to work, earning the money. I've been doing this. I've been doing your laundry. I've been doing But there's no love there. Because they've started serving the chores versus loving each other and serving each other. I want to encourage you, dear church. Learn from Jesus. Martha, Martha, why are you anxious and troubled about many things? Listen, one thing is necessary. That's what he tells her. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. One thing is necessary, that you love the Lord Jesus Christ, that you love him. What does love look like? Well, if you've never loved, it's hard to explain it. But I'm sure you've been loved. Let me encourage you. Think about that time that you've really felt loved by somebody. Think about that for a moment. Maybe it was on your wedding day. Maybe it was on a graduation. You know, I, I recently when I had my uh, graduation ceremony from School of Ministry a couple years ago. And um, I say recently, but it's been longer than I thought. And I was so moved by the people that showed up from our church. So moved by that. Like I didn't want to make a big deal out about it. But all these people showed up and they laid hands on me and prayed. And I can't tell you how loved I felt by these people that showed up. By the church. Sometimes in, in our fellowship we just feel loved when someone comes across and they pray for us or they meet us where we're at or, or they, they show up to serve us in some way. They know that we're struggling with something. And they come down to our level or they meet us where we're at. We just feel so loved. The love is not about the service. It's about the relationship. And I wonder, do you have that relationship with Christ? Or do you have a relationship with his church? Do you have a relationship with Christ or a relationship with his church? Meaning, are you here because of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you here to love him first and serve his church second? Or are you here to serve his church? Let me just tell you that. If you're here to serve his church, Lord, forgive me. Because I don't want you here to serve the church. I want you here to love Jesus. Let your love for Jesus Turn to service for the church. But don't put the service for the church first. I, um, we had the Old Town living room going for some time. And uh, we just couldn't keep up with it. I got busy with all these different tasks around the church and chores. And I couldn't keep up with it. And stuff had to go. And the, what the Old Town living room was, and we're trying to get it going. I'm just trying to get authors for it. But we were, and we're still doing the readings. We read a chapter of the Bible every day. And we write, we would write, the pastors in the church would write about a little, little devotional and email it out to everybody and, and about it. Well, we missed a couple days and, um, or we wouldn't always get it. And I told, I told all the pastors who were writing, don't let this be a legalistic thing. Just, you know, if you can, write. And if not, but the goal is to just get people reading the word. We want to have everybody reading the word every day. Well, when we'd start missing some, some time or even a week here and there, people would say, well... I read that every day and we're not getting the email. And I'm like, oh, yeah, but you're reading your Bible, right? Well, no, I read the, the devotion. 
broke. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you read the devotion, but I'm not doing the devotion for you to worship me. I'm not saying they were coming to worship me. I'm not doing the devotion for you to, to just read me. I'm doing the devotion to get you reading the Word. That's the essential thing, the relationship with Jesus Christ. The church of Ephesus, they know their theology. I'll tell you right now, you know what the nickname is for seminary? Cemetery. It's where theologians go to die. Not theologians go to, to learn to be inspired to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying everybody who comes out of seminary is dead. What I'm saying, though, is that we can so focus on the doing and the doctrine that we completely lose the passion and the desire for the Lord Jesus Christ. That love for his church, that love for him, the love to share about what he's done in our lives, the love to tell everybody about it. And Jesus says, remember, uh, but this I have against you, you've abandoned your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. You know, there's been times in my marriage where my wife and I get in a fight, and the only remedy is for me to remember what I did at first, go back to it, and start doing it again. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, you know what? This worked before, so I should go back and do that. And I know she does the same thing. Okay, you know what, honey, we got to, let's, let's start looking at this thing. Okay, here's where we've been missing each other. All right, let's go back and let's make a night, a date night, let's do this. Uh, let's sell off the kids, you know, whatever. <laughs> Remember how before we had kids, how wonderful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, no, but, but you remember what you did at first. Remember that passion. Remember that day when Jesus Christ came into your heart when you received him. Remember that feeling that you had of being guilt-free, a clean conscience. Remember how excited you were to tell everybody about Jesus? Remember how people started calling you a Jesus freak? Well, I do. Maybe not you, but I'm a loud person. But do you remember how much you loved him, how excited you were to just read his word and, and get as much as you could to feed as fast as possible? That's what I'm encouraging you to do. Go back to what you did at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Now notice the word repent there. I want to key in on that. Here's the remedy. Repentance. Turning away, a change of mind. No longer the mindset you had before. You're, you're no longer going to be about the, the religion, the doing. You're no longer about the repetition, but you're about the relationship with Jesus Christ. You've had a change of mind. Your, your mind is changing. You're turning away. Listen, I'm no longer, you know what, maybe I have to back out of something. Maybe I've got to change something in my life. Yeah, maybe I've been too busy. Maybe I've got to get rid of Netflix and quit binge watching TV. Uh, that, uh, that's something I, I'll do, you know, end up doing. We'll, we'll turn on an episode of something and go, whoa, oh, let's get the next episode, the next episode. Before we know it, we've watched like four episodes of something like, oh, I've just wasted my life, <laughs> you know. But, but you need to repent, have a change of mindset. That's the remedy, repentance. Notice that this letter is not just about being critical of the church. Even though Jesus Christ, he's the judge, he's the one who walks among the lampstands, the one who holds the angels, the messengers, the seven stars in his hand. He's the one with the authority to look at the, the, the church. He's the author of the church. He's the founder of the church. He has every right to judge the church. 
And here he is warning the church not to be critical, not to just say, boom, you're judged, but to say, come back to me. Come back to the love you had at first. And by the way, I'll tell you right now, when you have a relationship out of sorts with God, you have a lifestyle out of sorts. And what I mean by that is, so often those of us who struggle with a feeling of depression or downcast, often it goes back to a relationship with our Lord, a love for our Lord. You know how it is when we have a, a fight with someone we love, a spouse, or, or we have relationship issues. I had a, a couple youth kids who were not talking yesterday because they were dating. And I was giving them relationship advice at the same time making it really awkward. So, because I was doing it right in front of both of them. <laughs> it's like, here's what you guys should do. Hug it out. No. <laughs> but, uh, but you know what the thing was that I noticed about the youth kids? Is they couldn't have fun being at the event at the Harvest tailgate party because they had issues with each other. So, although they would try to pretend like the person's not there and they're just going to do their thing. They know that they got this issue going on with this other person. They're out of sorts with them. And the only thing that's going to save the day, make their day better, is to reconcile. And that's how we are. And let me just tell you right now, if your life is out of sorts, reconcile with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's what the call is to do. To repent. To remember what you did at first. Now notice what he says. I will come to you uh, if you do not, if you if if not, if you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Sadly, the church at Ephesus is no more. The church at Ephesus, the, and by the way, just let me read real fast from Ephesians chapter six. In verse 24, the very last verse, grace be with all of you, all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. <laughs> That's the end of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Yet now, a generation later, Jesus Christ is confronting them on the lost love. That their love has been corrupted. That they've forgotten to love the first love. And so he tells them, repent or I will remove your lampstand. Yet this you have, and, and there's one more condemnation. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans. Here's what we can tell you about the Nicolaitans. We don't know anything about the Nicolaitans. That's, I mean, that's the honest truth. I mean, there's a lot of speculation. And trust me, when, when I get ready to do sermons, I wade through a lot of stuff. And I read a lot of reading. And I do. Actually, probably most of my time is spent in background studies. That's why I don't have awesome acronyms for you every week. Um, <laughs> so this is true. But uh, the Nicolaitans, uh, there's some different theories about them. But we really don't know. But here's what we do know. Jesus Christ hates them. He hates their teaching. He hates the works that they do, so we should too. It's pretty good. They, they're, corrupt, they're corrupting influence in the church, so we should hate that. Okay, that's good to hate. So Jesus commends them for that because, hey, these guys are bad, or people, or whoever they are, bad people. And I, I don't want to spend a lot of time going into the theories on this. But 
notice that he commends them for it because he also hates them. Or hates the, the works that they're doing. Corrupting his church. Verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Real fast, feel right here. Feel right here. Everybody, do you feel an ear? Yeah? Okay. That's for you. He who has an ear, let him hear. Okay? Whoever has ears to hear. Now, of course, obviously, spiritually, this means like, if you think that the pastor's been up here talking for the last almost 45 minutes, we'll ignore that. Um, and you think that this is just total garbage. You have nothing, you don't understand. That means you don't have ears to hear because you can't discern spiritual things. But if you do have ears to hear, that you're listening to this stuff going, oh, that's interesting. Oh, wow. I didn't, you know what? Yeah, I, I haven't been loving Christ first. And by the way, if you're not loving Christ first, your love for the church, your love for others, it doesn't look so good either. So he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. The one who conquers. Who's the conqueror? Well, those in Jesus Christ. Okay? It's not specifically just the church in Ephesus. Ears to hear is to anyone with ears to hear. The one who conquers, we know that John himself tells us in 1 John that we are conquerors. That Jesus is, is the victor. And uh, Paul tells us in Romans, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So conquering what? Well, conquering this world and sin. Those who have come out of this, this world and out of sin, they, they've been called out and they've repented of sin and they've turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. That's lastly in, in uh, chapter 22 we see the tree of life again. And uh, which we also saw in Genesis chapter 1. So in Genesis 1 we see the tree of life, which man is prevented from eating from. And then in Genesis chapter, or Revelation chapter 22, we see that all who were conquerors eat from. Jesus Christ, let me propose to you that Jesus Christ is that tree of life. That if we partake in Jesus Christ, we partake in the tree of life. It's not about your good works. It's about Jesus' good work. But if you're going to say, I believe in Jesus, that means you're going to love Jesus. You're going to love him more than anything else in this world. And he'll become your focus. I challenge you with that, dear church. Let us be a church that loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for sending your son to die on that cross for us. We thank you that in you we find life and hope and a future. Lord Jesus, we just pray for forgiveness for those of us who have put you in the back seat, Lord. Forgive me, Lord, for looking to other things versus you. Lord, let me be true to you. Let my heart be true to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.